Good morning. My name is Zillian. Our scripture reading today is found in First Peter, chapter one, verses one through twelve. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the. Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, and all fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise. Glory and honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, when he predicted the suffering of the Christ. And the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
Thank you so much, Zillian. Let's pray together. Father, we gather here and give praise to you, even as First Peter tells us to do. Praise be to you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, our God and Father, the Lord and Maker of this entire universe. Father, as we gather as your people, we bring the matters of this world to you. There are so many. Father, we think about the uh, tragic oil spill that is happening in the Gulf. Some are saying perhaps the worst that has happened in, in known history, devastating this world that you have put us in. Father, we often don't know how to pray about such things. We pray that that ongoing gushing might be stopped. We pray for those who are involved in working with it, the engineers and others, some of them even a part of our own church family. So, Father, we love the beauty of the world that you have put us in and know that we have been put here as, as caretakers of it. And so, Father, we pray for that matter that seems outside of human control now, that somehow that might be able to be stopped and things might be restored. Father, as we've looked around our world yesterday on this uh, May Day weekend, uh, we have seen people in our own country who are protesting because people are here who feel out of place. And it's brought so many political uh, disagreements that could even separate a church like our own. Father, we pray for our national and state leaders. Your word tells us, commands us to do that. We pray that you would give them wisdom and help them to see what to do in times like this. And Father, we pause to recognize that even when people feel out of place in any particular country, your word will talk about that today, that there is a place of belonging among the people of God available to each one through faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we might extend that opportunity to come into your eternal family, knowing you as Father, to all who cross our paths. Father, we pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world as reports from India come to us where Christians are being persecuted anew and with great violence in, in many parts of the world, and especially there where we have so many people in our church from that heritage. Father, we don't know how to pray except we know that you are there, and we do ask that you would protect these, our brothers and sisters, and bless them and help them to know how to represent you in these difficult times. So, Father, today we open your word. Speak to us. Teach us how to live, even when our times are tough, that we may bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in 1990, I had the uh, privilege of chairing the International Mission for the Evangelical Free Church of America. And in 1990, just after the walls of Soviet communism came down, I was sent first to former East Germany to meet with the Christian leaders of the Freie Evangelische Gemeinden, the Free Evangelical Churches. Twenty of them had survived faithfully under communism, and I met with those leaders. And then after that, I traveled to Prague in former Czechoslovakia with the Czerka Braska, uh, the uh, Czech uh, brothers and sisters. Many of them had been imprisoned uh, under atheistic communism. Many, many things I will never forget as I met my brothers and sisters there. You know how that is. I found people who'd been faithful in tough times. And I remember one of them said to me, uh, uh, Pastor Greg, uh, you need to teach us how to be faithful to Christ in good times. Well, I'm praying that we can still learn that, aren't you? But one of the things I will never forget is that both in Germany and among in the Czech Republic, 
the Christians who had been faithful in tough times told me that their favorite book through those decades of, of persecution had been the book of First Peter. The book of First Peter. They said it had given them perspectives for how to view all the difficulties and persecution they faced. Uh, they said it had encouraged them. And just as much, they said, as they would gather and read it, it had given them specific directives for how they were to live in the midst of a very difficult world. Now, I'll never forget that, because even though I've been a Christian for a long time and a pastor for a long time, if that was the favorite book, both in Germany and in Czechoslovakia in those tough times, I could not remember one American Christian who had ever told me that the book of First Peter was his or her favorite book in the Bible. I couldn't think of one. I mean, people have told me how much they love Psalms or Proverbs or the book of John or Romans and many book of Revelation. They, they, they don't understand it for some reason. They, that's, but never, never the book of First Peter. And um, as you, we will be looking at the book of First Peter this summer, I've almost balked a little bit about teaching Southern Californians where we still love, you know, kind of being upwardly mobile and everything going well and being successful. I've almost balked at teaching it because you might think we don't want to live a life like that, undergoing persecution. Uh, I can see when you read this why Christians who are being persecuted love the book because it was written to our brothers and sisters years ago who are going through really tough times. It was probably written in the year 64 A.D. and I was not alive at the time. I'm just going to tell you I was not. Um, but at that time there was this crazy emperor of the Roman Empire named Nero who began, he didn't like the fact that some of these religious groups didn't worship him as the, as the emperor. And so he was becoming increasingly, especially anti-Jewish and anti-Christian uh, because uh, Jewish people and Christians would not worship somebody other than Jehovah God. And so um, increasingly, as things didn't go well in the empire, he would blame groups like Christians for that. And increasingly, Christians were being persecuted. Probably when Peter wrote this letter, uh, Christians were not yet being put to death for their faith. But, but what was happening was probably... Uh, people who once had had certain occupations, if they were Christians, they couldn't be in them. You know, students who would want to go to certain schools, if they were Christians, they weren't admitted to go to schools. It's a lot like what you read about in 1930s Germany. Uh, Hitler hadn't come into, into to, to ruling yet, and yet increasingly, if you look at the evidence, uh, Jewish people were not allowed to have certain occupations or to go to certain places. You just see the persecution escalating, and that was happening. So Peter saw this and saw that some of these new believers in Asia couldn't figure out why it was that they were following this resurrected Christ and, and coming to know as Father, the Lord of the universe, and yet their lives were so hard. And so he wrote them this letter. Now you would think you know, that a letter like this, written to persecuted people, would, people would have sort of a, a somber, heavy tone to it. But you're going to find out it is one of the most upbeat letters in the, in the world. When Zillian wrote, did you notice places like verse 3? Peter said, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, look what he's done for us. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And it, you know, it goes on and on. It is so exuberant. What Peter is wanting to say is that even though in this world you may be walking through some pretty tough times, Right now, 
and maybe you're going through them even because you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, you shouldn't be depressed. In fact, we who are followers of Jesus are the most privileged people in the world. That's what Peter wants to say, because we have found what this whole world is looking for. And he opens up his letter with just two verses that we're going to look at today because of our time. But I want to show you up from the point that I think he's trying to make. The point of 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 is that although Christians sometimes feel like strangers and aliens in this world because, because our values when we follow God are no longer the values of the world. Still, what we have is what everybody needs, which is a greater sense of belonging than anyone in this world could possibly have. Now I'll tell you, that message resonated with people in, uh, under communism. But I believe that if we can see it right, it speaks to you and me just as powerfully here in 21st century Southern California as it did to them if we could understand it. Because I tell you, in this world, sometimes we can have a lot of people around us and we still sort of feel out of sync, especially as Christians, with the ways of thinking and the values of the world. And one of the things we human beings need is a place of belonging. And Peter's going to try to say, if you have found Christ... You have found an identity. You are in the family of God with God, the maker of the universe, as your father. So, will this speak to us? When times are tough, the first thing he says is, we, we have found a place to belong. Which brings me to the first question I want to address. Th then who is it who needs a place to belong? And this is where Peter begins. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to... And here I put my own translation in. To chosen resident aliens of the dispersion. Uh, this word resident aliens is translated. I don't know what Bible you brought with you. I hope you brought one. But if not, I put some of it up here for you. Sometimes it's translated foreigners, sometimes refugees, sometimes strangers. But it really is an unusual thing. You may feel like a foreigner or resident alien, but he says you're chosen. You're God's elect, God's chosen family members, though so you feel like a resident alien. Now, I don't know if you like to read sociology, but sociologists and psychologists and even anthropologists tell us that one of the most basic human needs is a sense of identity. We need to know who we are and a place where in this world we feel like in that place I really belong. And yet they say the experience of so many people in this world, no matter where you live or any time in history, is that you can live in a place with a lot of people around you, but you feel isolated. Do you know what I mean? You don't really feel, even though there are a lot of people around and you're a person, you don't really feel like you fit in. And, and so you keep certain things hidden. You think if they knew that about me, uh, they wouldn't accept me. Uh, the word that people use is a sense of alienation. And this theme fills the literature of history at all cultures. It fills the, the movies of Hollywood. It, 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 it fills uh, the, the television programs that are being done. The people are, are there with a lot of people, but they don't really fit in. Well, I'm telling you, if there's ever been a people in history who lived in this world, but didn't feel like they really fit in where they were, it's these Christians that Peter was writing to in First Peter. They'd become followers of Jesus and had found something they had longed for, but as they were living there in their world, they, they sort of felt 
out of kilter with, with, with everything that is around them. Living there where they were officially citizens, if they had passports holding a passport, but just feeling like resident aliens. I use that term because of this weekend, that no matter where you fit on that political spectrum, that term is an awful term, don't you think? Aliens. You just, just feel strange in this place. Resident. You live in a place, but you just feel like you, you, don't, you don't really fit in. Now, some people have said, because he uses this word, resident aliens of the dispersion, scattered all over the place, that this is a term that the Jewish people used a lot. So maybe he was just writing to Jewish Christians, but I don't think so. So I want to show you that where these people lived. I think I have a map. Yes, there. You don't recognize that, do you? Maybe some of you do. It's a, a part of Asia that just bumps up right up next to, to, to Europe there. And on, it's on this, let me see, your side. It would be on your right-hand side. Uh, you have this. This is um, what many people call Asia Minor. M- much of that is, is, is Turkey today. And so a zillion, I gave her a tough text to read, didn't I? And she read those impossible names so well for us. You can see that places like Cappadocia, just south of there, is where, where uh, Paul grew up, uh, Tarsus. Uh, so much of the book of Revelation, written to those seven churches in Asia, were written to churches over here on the western uh, side of this. This is the place where uh, early on, as the message of Jesus came, people received it. It's where the church in Antioch that we've studied the last couple of weeks sent out missionaries to this place and people received the gospel. And even though there were probably a lot of Jewish people who responded, I think mostly they were probably Gentile believers. And so Peter takes, the Jewish man that he was, he says, I know that when you follow Jesus, you sort of feel out of sync with everything, but this is something that God's people have always felt. I'll tell you about my own people. He said, we people who are of Israel... Well, when, when the Babylon and Assyria took us captive and they were scattered everywhere, we still said, we're the people of God. We want to be back home in Jerusalem. And he said, we, we, we knew we belonged to God and that God was there, but we felt very awkward living in this world. And he turned to them and said, if you feel like that, you need to know that wherever you are in this world, however scattered you are, as long as you know God as your God and God as your father, you can have a place of belonging. So I began thinking about this. What must it have been like for these people in Asia who had followed Christ and now they were living God's way increasingly and increasingly the world was saying, you're weird people. <laughs> I think it was something like this. Um, at one day, some of them were successful businessmen and merchants, uh, fully a part of the community and civic organizations. On, on one day, some of them had been students in their universities really fitting in with what everybody else was doing, students in the, in the schools that were there. One day they were good family people uh, because families were so important in that ancient world, uh, places of belonging. But still, in spite of the fact that they fit into their communities and their workplaces and their schools and their families, they knew something was missing. Uh, do you understand that? I don't know what brought you to Jesus. But it's usually that we're trying to do things the way the world tells us to do them and we know there's something missing. Uh, God tells us we have this God-shaped vacuum inside of us that God alone can fill. And so the message of Jesus comes and says what's happened is that you've been made to know God as all people have been made. You've been made to know God, but you don't know Him because you have sinned. You've walked away from God. But God loves you. He's seeking after you. And what God does is this. 
He will give you the opportunity to know him again. But you have to place your faith in the only one, the sinless one who died for you, this Jesus. And if you will respond to him, that vacuum that you have, that God-shaped vacuum will be filled. You'll be able to know God as your father. And so just like so many of us here and today with the baptism, so many are going to give testimony to. They received Jesus and they said, that's what we needed. That's what we longed for. But even though they had found on one side a relationship with God that all of us have been made to have, it put them at odds with the values of the world around them. Can't you imagine? I I just imagine it. Some of their family members have said, what kind of sect or cult have you gotten into? Can't you imagine that some of the students at the schools would just look at them and say, you've gone weird on us. Don't you think that's what happened? And when I started thinking about it that way, I began to see the relevance of this for us here in the United States. Because I think increasingly we are going to find that if we truly follow Christ, the way of life that he calls us to and the values that he asks us to have will increasingly clash with the world around us. Uh, This last uh, week, as I've been preparing this, I received, believe it or not, four letters from some of our church university students. Uh, Three of them have made new commitments uh, to Christ. Uh, One of them, a first-time commitment to Christ. And as they're longing in their state universities uh, to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, they they wrote me about this. And so I put together their letters um, because they were all saying essentially the same kind of thing. And this is what they wrote. Uh, Pastor Greg, this following Jesus is not easy. I'm not saying, one of them said, that I'm being imprisoned or killed for my faith. But I feel sort of out of it here. I feel rejected. Mostly, one of the women wrote me, I'll quote this, I feel out of sync with everything around me. My friends think I've lost my mind. My faith convictions seem to clash with everything that's being taught in my classes. Now, one of them says, I'm not getting invited to the things that everybody else is doing. Now, my campus is a warm and friendly place, and I love my friends and I love my school. But my beliefs in Jesus are creating distance between me and everybody else around me. Do you have any advice for me? Will you pray for me? I feel out of sync with what's being taught and with the values and where people are going and people that I used to be with, I still love them, but now when I'm trying to live for Jesus... When I read that, I said, this sounds like the book of First Peter. So, advice. One of the pieces I wrote them, I said, uh, and I copied Pastor Chuck and a few of the others on this, I said, you know, what you're experiencing sounds just like the book of First Peter. We're going through that all summer, so my first piece of advice is make sure you come to church all summer. So, I... I, I hope that they will. But, but I want them and I want us to know that even though you and I here in the U.S. may not yet be putting, being put to death because of our faith in Jesus, we should not be surprised if we are truly committed to following Christ that the way of life that we live and the values that we have will be out of sync and out of, culture, uh, out of kilter with the world around us. And in spite of that, if we live in the way that God would have us to live, people should be able to see in us something that they were made for. 
because all of us were made to find this place to belong that God alone can fill. Do you believe that? As I was thinking about it, I thought, what would illustrate that? And I'll tell you, I, I balked at doing this too, but it took me back to a song back in the 80s. And I wasn't going to show it to you because I think every preacher in the United States back in the 80s quoted this thing. It is a song that was set in a bar in Boston. And I'm afraid when I put it up here, some of you are going to start singing. Maybe the Saturday night people more than nine o'clock, but maybe some of in your hearts will want to sing it. And here's the way it goes. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. See, you you know this, don't you? Taking a break uh, from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. See, didn't you want to sing that? Didn't you want to sing that? It's from Cheers, of course. It's a longing. It's so beautiful when you look at it because that's what we want. We've been made for that. And yet it's a longing. I'm just going to tell you that no bar in this world can ever fulfill. Nor can any other thing in this world ever fulfill. We'll always be let down when we try to fill God's place with something else. So we might find some place, whether in our schools or here in the world or going to the gym and working out, wherever we find some place where for a little while we say, yeah, that's, you know, that's really what I want. But after a while, we find it doesn't, it doesn't last. Uh, the people that we thought, wow, they really like me, we find out it was just a one-night stand, or they find somebody younger or smarter or with a better sense of humor. Uh, people we really enjoy being with, then sometimes we have conflict with them and they don't enjoy being with us anymore. Or even if we do, they move away. Or even if we do, death takes us away. Nothing in this world can take God's place. All of this takes us back to the book of Genesis 1 and 2. Everything kind of takes us back there. That we human beings made in God's image were made for what I call community, to be in relationship. But God has to be at the heart of that. We were made to have God as, our, as the one we walk and talk with. Uh, living the way he made us to live. And then the rest of the relationships with our world and with people can be right. They don't have to be God because God can be God. <laughs> Those things, if we put them in God's place, they'll let us down. So we've been made to know God. But Genesis 3, we walked away. Like the prophet Isaiah said, we're like sheep. We've gone astray. Not just like sheep, we're like Adam and Eve. We wanted to do it on our own. But as we walk away from God, we walk away from everything we've been made to have so that we can love life. And so what has happened over these many, many centuries is in this world, all sorts of systems have been set up to try to find things that will take God's place. The whole world's values is to try to fill that vacuum in us and none of them satisfy. We've been made for God. And so here we come as Christians and, and, and we find what we've been made for. Do you remember when you first believed that hallelujah, this, this is what I've been longing for. And yet we still live in a world with all the value systems are clashing with that. 
I don't know if I've explained this well, but this is what puts us at odds with the world. Because the rest of the world still is looking where you and I have always looked. We've tried to do it on our own. We've tried to find a way to fill the vacuum with something else. And what we do as Christians is we keep telling people, you won't find it there, you won't find it there. But people keep saying, don't tell me that. It's the very things they're living for. Uh, Whether that is success in their career. I'll tell you, no matter how much success you have, someday you're either going to be retired or else maybe they'll let you retire and they'll give you that gold watch. There it is. It's over. Or maybe you think, I'll find it in my investments. I'll be really successful there. Or building a bigger house. I'm telling you, no matter how well those investments do, eventually some sort of financial crisis might come. And we'll lose 40% of it in one year. And even if we don't, you can't take you with you. What did John Dunn say? There's no pockets in a shroud. And if it's in our success, whether in sports or music or in the academy, at the end of the day, it's not going to last forever. You know this is true, don't you? You know this is true. And yet what we live in is a world where everybody else is pursuing that and we have found a place of belonging in God. And the irony is, having found what we've been made for, often at least for a season, it puts us at odds with all the value systems in the world. Don't be surprised. So all of us have been made uh, to have a have a place in our lives that God alone can fill. And when we come to Christ, we are the most privileged people in the world because we have become chosen into the family of God, a place of belonging, chosen, but we feel like resident aliens scattered throughout this world until God finishes his work. And so the outcome of this, and we'll read it all the way through First Peter, I'll encourage you to read it all the way through and you'll see it, is that Christians, we should live in such a way that when people watch us, they should see a difference in the way we live. And, and there should be something about that to everybody, if they'll really pull back, they'll say, that's, that's the way it's meant to be. Now, the way we treat people, the way that we forgive as, as Christ has forgiven us, it should all be the kind of thing, the way we don't just get so frustrated when temporary things are taken away. People should be able to see this, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be just loved and embraced because of that. And this has always been. Let me just show you a, a letter that was written a hundred years after Peter wrote First Peter, and 1950 years ago or so, in the second century, it was a letter written to Diognetus about how Christians experience life. I, I put it up here so you can see it. It's so powerful. What does life look like? Christians are no different from other people in terms of their country, language, or customs. Nowhere do they inhabit cities of their own or use dialects or live in isolation. They live in their own respected countries, but only as resident aliens. So they participate in all things as citizens, but they endure all things as foreigners. Every territory is a homeland for them, but every homeland is foreign territory. They share their meals but not their sexual partners. They are found in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but participate in the ways of heaven. They obey the laws and even supersede them. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are not understood and are sometimes condemned. 
They are put to death. But no, they are much alive. They are impoverished and make those around them rich. They lack in all things, but abound in everything. Now that is the way it's supposed to be. And I don't know how you resonate when you see how second century Christians looked at how they should live in this world. I read that and I say, that sure is beautiful. That's the way it's supposed to be. But then when I stop and think about it, I think this kind of life is hard. Anybody agree with me? (laughs) This kind of life is hard because we so much want the acceptance of those uh, around us. And Peter says, but the real acceptance that you need to have is the acceptance by God and among God's people. So how can we rest in that? And I want to show you what Paul Peter does. It's what the Bible does all the time. I put it under the question, who fills this longing to belong? What he does is he forces us, just like Genesis 1, to look at who God is. Worship, putting God at the center of our lives again, saying that if we have him, we have all that we need and everything else that comes is just a joy instead of those things being an essential that we have to have or a right that we have to demand. He makes us look at God and what he shows us is that the totality of the Godhead, the triune God, is involved in bringing us into this place of belonging. May may I show that to you? Who fills this longing? He writes, to God's elect, to God's chosen ones, chosen resident aliens of, of the dispersion, chosen by whom? Number one, chosen by God the Father. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That God the Father's plan, eternal plan, just like Ephesians chapter 1. God had an eternal plan that in this world where people have to keep things hidden and never feel like that I found what I've been made to find. His eternal plan was to create a family in this world. Not only where we can know God, but know God as our Father. And in verse 2, as God is described as our Father, this is just the beginning of what is going to permeate the book of 1 Peter. This family language. It's just like the book of Ephesians, except for a different purpose. In the book of Ephesians, different family members didn't want to be in the same family together. Do you remember? (laughs) Jew and Gentile said, well, that's all right, but I don't want to be in a family with that person. But now he's writing to persecuted people who don't feel like they have a family. And he says, I'm telling you, you do. And God is the Father. And one of the beautiful things is, and I hope you've experienced this, when we're going through tough times, And we find other people who love Jesus. Don't you know you find a brother and a sister? Well, that's what God, he has chosen to have a family and to bring us into his family. It's not our work, it is his. But he's willing to adopt us into this family and make himself known to us as a father who will not leave us alone. Now that little word chosen by the foreknowledge has has created a lot of theological debate. You know that, don't you? Some people think, chosen by the foreknowledge, that must be that God knew beforehand what I would do. So he said, okay, if they'll do that, I'll let them into my family. But that can't be, that cannot be what's going on here. It's talking about the fact that God had an eternal plan, that this family is not haphazard. And the fact that that you have the opportunity to be in is not just guesswork. God always wanted you in his family. 
So that when we get into this family, it is not by chance God wanted you in. And when in the midst of this family, you and I go through tough times, that isn't outside of the control and the power of God either. It's just exactly what we find in the uh, book of Revelation chapter 2 as Jesus is sending a message to persecuted people in Asia, in Pergamum. And he turns to them. Do you remember? I did a whole sermon on this one phrase. He turned to them and says, I know you're going through hard times and even one of you was put to death. But I know where you live. There is no place in this universe where our Father is not. There is no God-forsaken place in this universe so that wherever we are scattered, we can be at home because God the Father has called us into His family. That's what He's saying. Not only that, it also refers to God the Holy Spirit, chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And I put it this way, God the Holy Spirit is the one who sets us apart Yes, we'll feel isolated and set apart from the world, but set apart to God who sets us apart to be in this family of God. Now, that word sanctifying, I know that's a religious term. I bet you don't use it a lot. It just really means to be set apart. And it kind of summarizes everything I've been talking about. That sometimes when we come to Christ, we, we feel isolated and set apart from the values of, of people that once we were really close to. And that does happen because he sets us apart from having to strive to to find what we're longing for on our own, to try to live right in our own strength. It never worked anyway. So all the striving that the world has to try to be successful and to try to find happiness, we've been set apart from having to do that because God has, has acted on our behalf. But we've been set apart not only from the values and ways of the world, but to God himself. So it's, it's like Ephesians. When you trust Jesus, God gives his Holy Spirit to you and to me and begins doing a work on us. Yes, that it will make us look different from the rest of the world and make us feel like resident aliens for a while. But what it's going to do is, as he keeps doing his work in us, do you know who we're going to look more and more like? This sanctifying, setting apart work? We're going to look more and more like our Father. I was with Brandon down in West Virginia just this last week, my son, and uh, he, had, he had this goatee like I do. He's a lot taller and younger and better looking than I am. But one of the things they said that probably always embarrasses him is, you sure look like your father. Um, don't you want to have that said of you with regard to God? Here we are chosen to be in our father's family and, and, and we'll be look, looking more and more like him. But as he does that in all of our lives, what he will do is knit our family closer together. It means we have to stick with one another through, through the difficult times. That means when we're at odds with one another, because God's not done with us yet, we can't just take off home to find another church. But as we work on this together, God will remake us through the work of the power of His Spirit. For the Spirit of God resides within each one of us, doing that setting apart, sanctifying work. And finally, it's not just God the Father and God the Spirit. We get in because of the work of God the Son. Chosen. And the way that I take this phrase, into or because of the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. And the way I put it, God, the Son's perfect obedient life and his sacrificial death is the means by which sinners like us can get into the family of, of God. Now, I don't know if you have your Bible in front of you 
and the way that it's usually translated for obedience to Jesus. I'm always worried a little, not really worried. I look out and I think we're right across the street from Fuller Theological Seminary. And I wonder if any seminary faculty members and students are here. So I always think about the issues they'll raise. And and this is a real hard verse to translate. So I just want to say I know it. Uh, But the way that I think this is to be understood is the way that I put it. Some people say it's so that we can be obedient. And truly that's true. But I think the focus is on God. How do we get to be in the family of God? It's because of the work of Jesus. We couldn't be fully obedient. We've all fallen short. Amen? We, we need the grace of God. So God had to send somebody who wasn't in the same mess that we are in who could be obedient. So we get to be chosen. We get to be in the family of God because one was fully obedient to the ways of God, namely God the Son, Jesus Christ. And not only was he willing to do that and live an obedient life in this imperfect world, but he gave his life. He was obedient even to death. Yes, even death on a cross. And because of what he has done, through shedding his blood and giving his life in our place. You and I can have that longing to belong filled. God himself can come into our lives and we can know him as our father. We're going to be remembering that in communion. We're going to have to own up to the fact that there's not a single person in this whole worship center today who deserves to be in the family of God. So you can just look around you and see a lot of people who have fallen short of the expectations of God. But God loves each one of us. And there was one who lived a perfect life. Our sin has to be paid for. I'm telling you, if you don't deal with evil, you're not going to have a moral world. If you just let it abound, God just says, I'll deal with it. But since we've all engaged in it, you and I need to have our sins forgiven. And Jesus says, come into me and I will offer you that forgiveness and relationship with the Father that you have been made for and then you'll find a place to belong so that even when you feel like a resident alien and when times are tough we'll know that God the Father is there and we can belong because of his grace this past week some of you know was one of the more challenging uh, times of my life Uh, after I preached last Sunday Uh, Chris and I and my son Brandon hopped on a plane and flew back to my family home in West Virginia where uh, we were moving my folks to assisted living. Uh, So we went into the, um, it was a physically and emotionally wrenching times. If you've done this, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, We went into the home where I had grown up, uh, where my folks had lived for 47 years in Bluefield, West Virginia. And we had to do all of this work of, um, of uh, meeting with attorneys and Veterans Administration and Social Security and real estate people and assisted living centered people, all of this. In two days, a life that had been living, lived for 47 years, we, we just ripped it all out, ripping the carpeting out, rip, taking everything, 40, 39 gallon bags of garbage <laughs> We had out on the sidewalk 30 bags to the local mission of, of, of mostly clothing, two and a half truckloads of furniture and, and stuff that had been accumulated for 47 years. And I was looking at that, and it's, this is, it's just the shell that was there. Uh, my mother has Alzheimer's. She, she hardly knew me. And moving them out of the family home uh, and moving them into this assisted living center, it's just a, 
amazing thing that goes on inside of you. But, you know, as I looked at it, I was thinking about this message, of course, and I was thinking, if ever there were a place in this world where anybody should say, here is where I fit and where I belong, it would be in a small town in America where you live in the same place for 47 years. And yet that home had become foreign territory for my parents. Uh, the neighborhood had completely changed. Even become a rather dangerous place. Uh, gangs up on the upper part of the street. Uh, people had died or moved away. They, they really didn't even know my parents. Some of the younger people who walked past seeing the moving things there said, oh, yeah, we saw those older people who were always there. They seemed like nice people. So they didn't really even know people. In, in the community as a whole, most of their f- friends had either moved away or had died themselves. You think, well, they'll feel at home in this place. My mother with Alzheimer's, you, often, you know, often it's just in that home that you feel at home. But even the home didn't feel like home to her. She said, this is my home. She didn't even know me as her son. I like you, she said, but, but you're not my son. So, so even that, so she wanted to go back home somewhere. And, and, and for my father, it had become a difficult and dangerous place where he feel, felt absolutely isolated. Even trying to get up and down those stairs, it had become a dangerous place. Not a welcoming place. And so we, we moved them to, to this assisted living center. And as I had the privilege of sitting with my mom and dad uh, out in the courtyard where the sun was shining, looking out over the hills uh, of Virginia and Tennessee, my dad said, Greg, don't worry about us. Um, I'll, I'll feel the emotion of this. I've met some other Christians who are here. And I really like them. And with us being here, I, I just feel at home. I just feel at home. See, this is what Peter is trying to make us see. That that if we try to find our home in anything else in this world, it eventually is going to fall apart or let us down. Home is found when we have found God as our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter will end this section. So grace in abundance be to you. And peace. Uh, taking both the word that the early Christians loved, grace. You don't deserve it, but God loves you and he's given it to you. <laughs> peace, shalom of God. The life that we were made for but we walked away from. Uh, when you come to know God as your father, may grace and peace be to you in abundance. It's all been because he loved us so much that he sent his son who gave his life. And I've asked Pastor Jeff Leo to come and bring us back to the remembrance of how costly it has been that you and I might have a place to belong.